It's called Open Heart this morning. Um, let's get focused. If you haven't been a part of this series, we're working through the different books in the New Testament. <laughs> the new book, the New Testament, the books in the New Testament that Paul wrote originally started as letters to various different churches. And what we're doing is we're opening to the heart of each of those different letters. And so if you would, grab your Bibles today because we're going to open to another one today. So far we've been in Romans and 1 Corinthians and and Galatians and Colossians on Wednesday nights. We've covered Philippians. And we're specifically focusing on the ones that Paul wrote, um, partly because I have just this deep love and appreciation for Paul's writing, but also because of the fact that sometimes, like, you really grasp and get the heart of Paul, okay? And, and these, this series I've truly enjoyed. One of the reasons why I've truly enjoyed it is that every week in preparation for whatever book we might be covering, I'll read the entire book. And so as I'm thinking about, we only have two weeks left in preparation for, um, in preparation in November, November 5th through the 12th, we're going to have what we call our missions convention, which is every year we try to take an opportunity uh, to focus on and, and talk about how each of us participate in the work of God, not only here at Praise Assembly, but in our city and in our nation and around the world. And so that missions convention, November 5th to 12th, two Sundays, and then everything in between is an opportunity to do that. And so um, we have that coming up, which means I have to end this series in like two weeks. So I've got two more weeks after this one. And so I'm like, okay, I have to read every bit of the book. What are the two shortest ones by Paul? And so (laughs) next week I'm going to cover Titus. Oh, I love Titus. In fact, the men's Ministry uh, during our men's breakfast is going to be doing a study on Titus. Excellent book. And then also uh, the last week is going to be Philemon. So it's going to be good stuff, uh, so don't miss those. Um, but we've, we've come through those. We're going to have to skip a couple of his books. But we're today focusing on the book that is probably the most, I think Paul's the most transparent in it. Which is, I think, important if we're talking about a series called Open Heart that the idea behind it, like opening up our hearts, that there's this really important part of that, piece of that, is being transparent with one another and not putting on a show, as Pastor Nicole was talking about earlier, not just plastering a smile on our faces and saying everything's okay, but being transparent. And there are times, especially for Paul, where he is incredibly transparent. And I believe the letter that we're reading today is probably the most transparent that Paul is in any of his letters. In fact, the entire letter, I used to read this letter and really kind of struggle with what in the world is Paul saying? But if you read it with a certain context in mind, all of a sudden everything kind of snaps together in the letter. And so one of the things that's really important to read is understanding what the writer's trying to get across. And we see in 2 Corinthians that Paul is so incredibly transparent. (coughs) Excuse me. He's also incredibly hurt. You find in 2 Corinthians this really kind of just broken-hearted apostle, and you see why he's broken-hearted. Okay, so if you would flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 today, because uh, we're going to be in the heart of Corinthians with a fit canvas, a fit Kansas, canvas. Thank you, babe. A uh, fit canvas, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and if we're being transparent, then I'll be transparent and say the verse we're reading today is probably one of those verses that I would say, in fact, I would say it is the verse that as much as possible, I would love to be my life verse, the verse that I regularly would come back to and find strength from, and I want to characterize my life, okay? So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 
Um, as part of that, let's start with prayer. Father, even as we're opening our Bibles today, I just pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would open our hearts. From your heart to ours, oh God, I just pray we would be transparent and that you would speak to us. Work in us today, I pray in your name. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in verse 9 and 10 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Here's what it says. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then. I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, so again, if we're going to be transparent, then let me be transparent with you today. A while back we decided, really just felt like, what did we want this church to look like? And as a leadership and the way that we talk about things, what is most important to us? And we decided very clearly that we were more interested than substance in substance than style. And, and as a part of substance rather than style, what is important to us is this. The Bible, I think, has, there's different ways you can preach. You can just throw out a verse and then you can say some stuff that kind of tangentially related. And as long as it ties together and it sounds good, everybody's happy. The other way to preach is to say this thing has better things to say than this thing. And that instead of what listening to me, we want to listen to this, okay? And so we decided that this was the most important thing for us to hear from by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we need to do, and often what you'll hear me do, and I just wanted to give you a reason why we do it, is we'll focus on, before we jump into a verse, we'll focus on what is the background. Like what's the context? What is Paul saying and why, why is he saying what he is saying in order for us to better understand it? Because again, we could take this verse and go all different kinds of directions. And I've heard people go all different kinds of directions off of it. But we want to go the direction that the Holy Spirit would want us to go, okay? So, so that's all I'm saying. And so in order to make that happen, I need to give you a little background. And the background is this. This is not the first letter that Paul has written to the church in Corinth. It's called 2 Corinthians for a reason. See what I did there? Very smart. But more than just two letters, probably there were at least three. We know exactly for sure there were more than two. That there were at least three, probably four, maybe as many as four, or five. Paul wrote probably four, I'm convinced four, but maybe as many as five letters to the church in Corinth. And more than just writing them letters, he also visited them a lot. In fact, we know even in Corinthians, it says that he visits them three times, okay? So he went there originally, he plants a church, leads them to the Lord, plants a church, and he stays there for a year and a half. The entire time he's there, he's building or he is making tents in order to support himself. He's a tent maker. He has that in his background. And so in order to keep from having to burden the church, he works a, another job in order to make sure that the church doesn't have to pay for him. And I need to stop here and say, don't get any ideas, okay? So, but Paul really didn't want to be in any way a burden on them. So he decides, I'm going to work really hard and pay for myself a different way, and then I'm just going to bring the word. So Paul moves on. He goes to another church in another city, and he stays and he plants a church there, and he's there for two to three years in Ephesus. And while he's there, he hears about some stuff that's going on in Corinth. Apparently, some people come along and start to question Paul's motives. And they start questioning not only his motives, they question his loyalty. They question his leadership. They question his integrity. They question uh, his decision-making. They question his love for the church. They question all of these things, and he hears about it, 
and he sends a letter to them, okay? And then uh, Titus, he sends the letters with a guy named Titus. Titus comes back, he talks to him, and then he tells him, listen, you need to go and you need to visit them. And Paul comes and he visits them, and apparently this visit goes badly. So he leaves and he writes them another letter, and this one is strongly worded. We have no idea what it says. Well, we have an idea, some an idea, but we don't know what happened to the letter. It's gone to history. Probably he said some things that were pretty harsh, and the Holy Spirit's like, that ain't the word of God. I'm with you, Paul, but that's not the word of God, okay? So, so but he writes this letter. It's gone now to us. Then he either visits again or he comes back or he sends this letter. So this is like the fourth letter. Some people say it's both the fourth and the letter, the fifth letter that they're combined together. Anyways. But what I love about 2 Corinthians is, again, a lot of times I used to read this letter and I'm like, okay, you just said one thing, Paul, and now it seems like you're saying something else. You have to understand how Paul wrote it. Paul very much is a broken hearted. I am convinced that you hear like this broken heart all through the letter. Because the second time he comes to visit them, apparently these people who had come along and questioned Paul's motive had gotten the church itself to question Paul. And one of the things that they had done is qu- ask the question, so like, did Paul show you any letters of recommendation? And so apparently when Paul comes back to them, they ask him for his letters of recommendation. Can you imagine what that would feel like? And so Paul calls these people who've come into the church, he says that they're, <laughs> I love Paul, he calls them the super apostles, <laughs> the super apostles, and he just comes up with this word, and I love it because it's not talking about Peter, and it's not talking about James or John. This is talking about just some random people, Fred and Bob, who've come to the church in Corinth, and they've said, listen, I'm an apostle. He'll vouch for me, and he's an apostle. I'll vouch for him, and they go with it, and so he calls them these super apostles, and so what I'm saying is, as you read 2 Corinthians, hear the brokenheartedness, but even as he's speaking, also hear the wit, Like, he calls them super apostles. I just love how he does that. And more than just the wit, like, there's no small level of snarkiness in this letter. Okay, like, it's all through it. And I want to, here's what I want to do. I actually want to read some of the other verses that as we, let's say we just skip across Corinthians and read some of those verses that really set up our verse and give us an idea of what Paul is dealing with here, okay? Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 9 through 10, he, he gives this part, but right after that, he tells them, because when, so he, he lives there, he plants the church, and for a year and a half, he doesn't support himself from the church, he supports himself by building tents, and they question even his motivations for not letting them give him money. And apparently, we don't know exactly what they say, but something along the lines of, well, I guess his teaching wasn't worth it, huh? Because he wasn't going to charge you. So he even has to correct why he's doing that. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 16, here's what he says. Here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden. Why? For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more... Am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Again, you hear Paul like just really here getting across this 
this like deep pain and he says, listen, I think of myself like I'm your dad, like your father in the faith, and you're treating me like your teenagers in the faith. You're ungrateful. I'm sorry, was that too far? But you're being ungrateful and you're questioning even why didn't I pay for you or get paid by you? He said, listen, does a father pay, have his children pay him? No, this is something where I am, I, I'm, I would rather spend and be spent for your souls. And he says, but if I love you more, why are you loving me less? Like, do you hear Paul's deep emotion here? And so they question that, but then they also question even like, they say, you know, quite honestly, Paul's kind of weak. They say he's weak looking, and they say he's weak preaching. And, and so in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, hear this verse. Here's what Paul has to say to them. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Slam. I mean, like, they're going after Paul. They're saying he doesn't look good and he doesn't preach good, right? I mean, they're hitting Paul hard. And, and we don't know exactly what Paul looked like, but there was a description that was written down about Paul about 100 years after he died. So at this point, he probably didn't look very good. But, um, and the guy who wrote it down was eventually, like, kicked out of the church for, you know, being a heretic. But other than that, here's a description of Paul from about 100 years after, after he passed away. Here, a man of middling size, and his hair was scanty. Ouch. And his legs were far apart. He had large eyes, and his eyebrows met. <laughs> and his nose was somewhat long. Ouch. He's like Joe Pesci with a unibrow. It's It's terrible. And we don't know if that's really what Paul was like. We don't know. But obviously, here, they're hitting him on it. And he's like, yeah, well, I'm not defending myself on those points. So these super apostles, he even says that apparently they look good. So they're like standing tall and have a little S curl. And like, they all look good. And they can apparently preach. He even says, they preach better than me. So I don't know if that's really true or what. But... Here's the guy who led them to the Lord, and he's having to defend the fact that he's weak-looking and not a very good preacher. And then more than that, he comes back. They even question, is he good enough to be your apostle? Is he sufficient? Is he a competent apostle? So Paul has to speak to that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what he says. They question... Is he sufficient as a minister? He says, all right, let's start with my description of ministry. Here's his description of ministry. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? You hear what he says? He says, okay, let me tell you what ministry is. Ministry is Jesus Christ on a triumphant parade, a triumphal procession, and we're just getting carried along behind him. I am the aroma of life to those who will live and to death to those who will die. He says, who can be sufficient to do that? Who could possibly be sufficient to fulfill that task? Who can be good enough for that? 
Who can be competent for that? And then he follows that up in chapter 3, verse uh, 4 through 6. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. He says, okay, am I good enough? No, of course not. But God has made me, declared me to be good enough to be a minister for him. Okay, so he's having to defend himself. And then that whole letters of recommendation thing, he has to speak to that. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, here's what he says. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Okay, I don't, so they hit him on all these things. He feels like he has to speak to each of them, but do you hear like the heartbreak across this too. Here is an apostle who planted this church and led them to the Lord and they ask him for a letter of recommendation. You are my letter of recommendation, Paul says. Do you hear like the heartbreak? He even says it in chapter 2, verse 4. He says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Do you hear again, like this pain that he's experiencing? Six, uh, chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Hear this. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced. Sorry, wrong spot. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Which that should have been the verse that I used for this whole series. Because did you hear what Paul said there? He says, he says, listen, my heart is wide open here. It's laid open for you. You can see what's going on inside of me. And then he says, now here's what I'm going to ask of you. Take your hearts and open them as well. Right? So, so Paul, you hear this, and in chapter 11, verse 2, he says that he has divine jealousy for them. And in chapter 11, verse 28, he says that he has anxiety on their behalf every single day. And so you find all through 2 Corinthians, here's what I'm saying, you find certain words over and over and over again as he's speaking to these things, as he's from a point of pain speaking to this church, from a point of wit and from a point of snarkiness, you hear these words, and he uses some words over and over again, bragging and boasting. It says these super apostles come and they brag about themselves. And then he uses the word power. Is Paul powerful enough? And he uses the word weakness. People say that I am a weak apostle. And then you hear this question of, is he good enough? Is Paul sufficient, competent, able to be our apostle? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Go back there if you would. We're going to stay here for the rest of the time, almost. Here's what he says. Verse 9. But he said to me, and the he here is Jesus, which is really interesting. See, right before this, if you read it at some point, 
Paul says, you want me to brag? I won't brag about myself. Here's what I'll brag about. I'll brag about some other guy who you've heard of before. His name rhymes with Paul. I'll brag about a guy who had an incredible vision of God. He went up to heaven and he saw incredible things. And while he was there, he saw amazing things. And and then he comes back from this vision. And he's got this thorn in the flesh. And at this point, it breaks down and he just flat out says, okay, I'm talking about myself. Says he's got this thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what the thorn is that he's referring to. Some people say that it was one thing. Some people, if you read commentaries, Paul was a hypochondriac. Like he had all kinds of problems. Some people say that it was emotional. Some people say it was spiritual. Some people say that it was physical. We don't know exactly what it is. I personally think that Paul was going blind, but that's my personal preference. Or think that's what I think. <coughs> but he prays to God and says, God, would you please remove this thorn? This pain, this thing that I'm weak from. And, and he prays over and over, and it says he prays three times, which probably just shows the fact that he prayed a lot. He prayed a lot for this to be removed. And after he prayed all of these things, we have verse 9. But he, and the he here is Jesus. Really interestingly, Jesus, is, this is the only place in the New Testament that Paul prays to Jesus. And here Jesus speaks back to him, but he said to me, but he said to me, when somebody tells me that God says something to them, I normally take it with a bit of a grain of salt. I don't know if you do the same. I certainly do. I just kind of, okay, we'll see. Yeah, sure. Maybe that's God and maybe that's the pizza. Like we don't know for sure. And, and when I hear, or I think I hear from the Holy Spirit, a lot of times I'll say, I feel like this is God. I'm not hundred percent. And we are supposed to judge right? We're supposed to each individually make those decisions and say, okay, is this you, God, or not, right? But he says, somewhere in the last 14 years, something happened. And we don't know where in the 14 years this happened, but we know that he had the vision 14 years before, which means that he was probably in Tarsus at the time. 14 years before, he has this vision, and somewhere in there, probably closer to the beginning of that 14 years, he has some sort of an issue, a weakness, a sickness, something, prays for God to take it away, isn't taken away, somewhere in those 14 years, then Jesus speaks to him. And here's what Jesus says. <clears throat> My grace is sufficient for you. That word sufficient is the word that comes up all through 2 Corinthians. It's the same word that is used when they question whether Paul was competent, whether he was sufficient to be their apostle. So he prays, take away this sickness, this weakness, this whatever. And God says, my grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's competent for this task. It will do what I want it to do. So Paul says, did you hear that? Maybe I should say it again. I am not good enough. But guess what? God's grace is. He says, you want me to respond to this? How do you want me to brag? Here's what I'll brag in. I'm not good enough. You question me, am I a good enough apostle? The answer is no. But guess what? God's grace is. Jesus says to him, my grace is sufficient. It's enough for you. It's enough for any weakness that you might have. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect 
in weakness. Now, what in the world does that mean? The word that's translated as is made perfect is actually one word in the original language. It is the most important word that has ever been spoken on the face of this earth. I say that with 100% confidence. The word that is translated here as complete, or as, sorry, forgive me, as perfect, is the most important word that was ever spoken on the face of this earth. You want to know how I know? Because it's used in John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus is on the cross, and at the end he cries out, it is finished. This is the word that's used there. This idea, this moment where God's love and his grace in this, in this, in this like, pinnacle of the human experience God's love and grace is revealed and this word is used it is finished it is brought to completion and here Paul says that God's uh, uh, grace that Jesus said to him my grace is sufficient for you my strength is made perfect my power is made perfect in weakness He's not saying that it like needed to be perfected like it wasn't there before, but it reaches like the pinnacle of its revelation of how it was uh, like put out for people to hear. Okay, so he says it, it, it reached its pinnacle of that. It, it's, it's perfectly displayed in your weakness. I, I read a quote this week, and when I read this quote, it ticked me off, made me mad. And here's why. Because when I read this quote, I was so close to getting this quote on my own. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I had all the pieces. And boy, it was going to be like the core of this message. And you're going to walk away saying, man, that was a great quote from Alan. Post it on Facebook. And then somebody else had it. I wanted to send off an angry email. Here's the quote. Christ won't paint on a proud canvas. I love that. Christ won't paint on a proud canvas. Jesus isn't looking for canvases that are so full of themselves that they can't handle his paint. He wants to display God's glory. He wants us to display God's glory. But when we're too good for it, he won't paint on us. So his power is made perfect in our weakness. So it may have been a little prideful that I wanted the quote to myself, but it's a great quote. A fit canvas. That's what I want to be. I want to be a fit canvas. I don't want to be a canvas that's too proud for the paint. I want to be someone who God can paint on and Jesus Christ can display his glory on. Nobody walks up to a painting in the museum and says, mine, that, that's a Fine canvas. No. Say, you see what the painter did there? That is beautiful. And that's what we need to be. A canvas that displays his glory. And he says the way that you do that is by recognizing your weaknesses. You, you recognize and say the fact that, listen, I'm not able to do it on my own. And then God's power is displayed in that. So Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I will boast. I will uh, brag. Speaking of bragging, I am the best storyteller that has ever lived. My kids love it when I tell them stories on the way to school. Because I am the best. Like, there's not anyone better than me. And um, 
because several years back I decided I was getting tired of telling them stories of pink bunnies and pink chipmunks and pink squirrels and pink bears that always lost their mommy and need to find their way home. So I decided to spice it up a little bit and tell them the story of, of this young man who grows up and, and he's a farmer where he's like on a planet and he finds out that the main evil guy is actually his father. Made this up on the spot and the kids were like, you're the best storyteller of all time. And so I, at some point, like, this plagiaristic Ponzi scheme will all come crashing down. But for now, I'm, they're in awe of my storytelling, and I'm good with that. So we just finished up the story of The Hobbit. And this story I made up. And in this story, there's this dragon that has this one weak spot on his belly. This spot where if you hit it with an arrow there, then that's the one place you can get it. And so, of course, the dragon's trying to cover that spot because it's its one weakness. I hate superhero stories. I hate them. I hate superheroes. I keep waiting for them to stop making movies about superheroes, but people keep watching them, so they keep making them. And every time a new superhero movie comes out, I get up and, and ask people, so how was it? Oh, man, it was one of the top three movies ever made. And I'm like, that's like their fourth reboot this year of that movie. How can it be the best movie? And, and I want to slap them and say, your opinion counts for squat until you watch The Princess Bride. Like, until you see a classic, you can't tell me that it's a... Anyway, sorry, that's sorry. But I hate superhero stories and movies. And, but some people love them. And I think the reason why is because, like, every superhero is impervious to almost everything. And if a superhero has, like, a weakness, like Superman, have you ever thought it was weird that Superman's, like, allergic to his own planet? <laughs> his allergies must have been terrible as a kid. <laughs> Anyways, but he's got one little weakness, but he doesn't want anybody to know it, right? Batman's allergic to lozenges. I'm Batman. The, the Green Lantern, do you know what the Green Lantern's weakness is? <laughs> the color yellow. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. It really is. So <laughs> anything yellow, mm, he's not a very good superhero, I guess. Anyways, but we love these movies about these superheroes because, like, I don't know, maybe we're tired of being weak and there's something about these superheroes who are, like, not weak at all. I don't know, maybe. I do know that Paul calls these super apostles super apostles because I guarantee you they're not sharing their weaknesses with that church. And so what they do instead in order to distract from them is they point out Paul's weaknesses. They say, oh, look at all the things that Paul has wrong. So Paul says, you want to know my weaknesses? I'm okay with that. Why? Because God's power is pinnacled in my weakness. I'm good with you knowing what's wrong with me. I'm good with you hearing about the fact that I look like Joe Pesci with a unibrow. I'm good with that. Why? Because in that you see that what has God accomplished? So he says, I will boast in that. And he not only says it, he does it. Back up to chapter 11, verse 30. Here's, here's what he says there. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was 
guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Okay, he's talking about something that happened 18 to 19 years earlier, right after he accepted Christ. I want to read the whole story there really, really quickly. It's in Acts chapter 19, 9, verse 20. Sorry. Here's what it says. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Where was he saved? On the road to Damascus. So this is literally right after he accepts Christ as his Savior. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and says, is it not this man, the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Paul or Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He's amazing them, and he's confounding them, and he's growing in strength. Woohoo! And then the very next verse says, verse, verse 23 says, when many days had passed... The Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the city, the gates, day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Okay, so what does he boast then? The absolutely most humiliating experience right after he accepts Jesus Christ. This is not a heroic story. This is a humiliating experience. Right? Like he's in uh, Damascus. He amazes them. And then they have to run for his life. And he has to get lowered out of a window in a basket. Then he goes to Jerusalem. And it says that he debates with the uh, Jewish people there. And they get mad. And so they have to, the believers send him off to Tarsus. This is really, truly, an incredibly humiliating experience. But what I love is, what does he say God's power is perfected in? His power is not perfected. He tells them this beautiful vision he has. And he says, but let me tell you what God's power is perfected in. After I have the vision, I have the sickness or weakness and I asked for God to take it away, and it turns out that in the weakness, God's per, uh, power is perfected. So he's like, it's not perfected in the ecstatic experience. It's not perfected in this beautiful, incredible vision that I've had. He says it's perfected in my weakness. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to boast about that stuff. I'll tell you all about it. I'll brag about what my weaknesses are. He says the reason why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I think this part of the verse is the most important because it's the most misread on purpose. We want the verse to say, so that God will make me free from weakness. It's not what it says. Or we want it to say, so that God will make me strong. That's not what it says. God doesn't promise us that if we're weak one time, he'll make us strong. It's not what it says. It says that Christ's power will rest upon me. And that word rest upon is the word, it means to pitch a tent. It means to tabernacle. God doesn't promise that if we show weakness, he'll make us strong. He promises us that in our weakness, he will connect us to Christ's power. 
and he will make that connection strong. Okay, that's a huge difference. Because we want it to just be, okay, now I'm strong. I, I once was weak, but now I'm strong. That's not the way it works. And in fact, the older you get, the weaker you get. Did you notice that? Anybody in here 40 or over, say amen. Anybody 50 or over in here, say amen. Anybody 60 or over, say amen. 70 and older. 80 and older. 90 and older. The older you get, the weaker you get. Do you notice how that went? <laughs> and I hope this comes across the right way. I need to just say something. I hope this comes across the right way. This Wednesday was Sister Jenny Bedzik's 98th birthday. Now, many of you may not know. Wait, wait, hold on. We're going to give her a round of applause in just a moment. Many of you may not know her. But every time I see Sister Bedzik, and she's here just about every time on Sunday morning, every time I see her, it humbles me. Because I guarantee you it took an incredible amount of perseverance for her to come. And she's here. And God's glory is displayed in that. Okay? So we say, the older I get, the weaker I get. And we're like, oh, man. But what an incredible opportunity to display the glory of God. And the older I get, the more opportunity I have. So would you just give Sister Bedzik a round of applause? We love you, Sister Bedzik. Thank you so much for joining us. You are a blessing to this church, and you display the glory of God every time you are here. We absolutely love you. Absolutely love you. And happy birthday, 98 years old. Verse 10 says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now the word content is not this. For the sake of Christ, then I am content. This isn't, we don't need any more Eeyore Christians. Like, this is not that at all. In fact, the word that's translated as content here shows up, actually, you know, the, when we were talking about earlier, the fact that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist when he was being baptized and the heavens open up and the dove comes down, Holy Spirit lights on him like a dove and there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's the exact same word as that. He says, I am well pleased in my weaknesses. That's totally different than content. I am well pleased. Now, let me also say what he's not saying here. He's not saying I'm reveling in my weaknesses so I can tell other people about my weaknesses so that they'll feel bad for me. That's not it. That would be well-pitied, which is a totally different thing. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying, that in my weaknesses, I find great joy. I find great joy in my weaknesses because in my weaknesses, those are the moments when God is, and his glory and his power are displayed. So he takes all the accusations and the terrible statements and he flips them around in a verse or two. He says, you come to me and you say, is Paul enough? I say, nope. But his grace is. And you come to me and you say, is Paul too weak? And I say, yep. And I will boast in that. Super apostles will come to me and they'll say, man, I brag in how great I am. Paul says, I boast in my weakness. 
fact that I'm not strong. You try to look strong and show off, and the super apostles, man, they got it all figured out. Paul says, I'm nothing but a basket case. And yet, if I were to say where we are in this verse, I would say most of us are the super apostles. You know what I'm saying? Like we show the perfection while hiding the weakness. We show how great we are while kind of clinging to that area that we don't want anybody to know about. Okay, maybe not super apostles. Maybe that's not the right word. Super moms, super dads, super pastors, super friends, super cool dudes. I mean, like, we, all you got to do is look at our, like, well-manicured social media, media profiles to show that we don't, like, bring our weaknesses up for everybody to see. Right? Like, we keep those hidden away. But in reality, guess what? We're all the Green Lantern. We're allergic to yellow. <laughs> and like everybody wonders why in our social media profiles we're never wearing yellow. <laughs> Just kidding. We're, we need to not be afraid of showing our weaknesses. Why? Because it's in our weaknesses that God's glory is, is displayed, that his power is made perfect. So Paul says, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. And guess what? We should too. One of the things that Pastor Fent gifted me with when I was a staff pastor here at Praise was the fact that he gave me time to figure out that it's okay to be weak. And he gave me time to figure out the fact that, boy, it's in my weakness that God's power really shows. And so I've clung to that. And so when I interview people, and I've had to do that a lot, and as I've interviewed people and in and, and hiring process and say, okay, what are your weaknesses? If somebody says, oh, I don't have any, say, thank you so much. There's the door. Or if somebody says, oh, my weakness is I'm a perfectionist. I slap them, then show them the door. Or when somebody uses that one, hey, what are your weaknesses? And they go, I work too hard. Come on, give me a real one. If people don't know their weaknesses, I don't bring them into this culture. Because people who don't know their weaknesses will find out really quick. Spurgeon said, there's two kinds of people in the ministry. Those who are humble and those who are humbled. And I'd rather have humble than humbled. So like one of the qualifications for being a pastoral staff member at Praise Assembly is boy, you better know what your weaknesses are. Because other people probably do. Don't try to cover for it. Because in the midst of that, God's strength is displayed. So, I don't know if you heard earlier today the word of God say, prophetic words say to us, um, don't try to do it in your own strength, but rely on God's strength. 
Okay, so when we're judging, was that the word of God or not? Boy, it sure seems like God was trying to say something very specific to the people in this congregation today. And it sure seems like that fits in line with what God was saying. Okay, God himself came to us today and said, don't try to rely on your own strength, but instead cling to mine. I want to be a fit canvas. I want to be a canvas that displays Christ's glory. I want to be a canvas that's not about me, but is all about him. And today, if you're in here and you'd say, boy, I'm so weak. Well, that's good because you qualify for God's strength. And if you're in here and you're saying, boy, but there's just so much weakness. Well, you're a candidate for Christ's power. That's a pretty good place to be in. Because in the midst of our weakness, he doesn't say that he takes the weakness and it's gone. I once was lost and now I'm found, was weak, but now I'm strong. That's not what it says. It says that in the midst of our weakness, Christ's power rests upon us. It tabernacles with us. So it's not like we leave the weakness behind. We carry the weakness with us, and the power of God is with us as well. And so what I'm saying is a weak place is a good place because it's there that we'll find the power of God for us. And so this morning, if you're in here and you would say, I'm weak, I would say, good. Because it's there that the power of God will be displayed in your life. And boy, that makes you a fit canvas. So don't like throw up all kinds of smiles. Try to turn aside the gazes from those areas in which you don't have it all figured out, but instead just Say, oh God, thank you for your grace, which is sufficient for me. And this morning, I want to stand before God as a weak people. Because God is looking for people who are weak. And I want to stand before him as weak people. And I want to give him glory. Father, today you know my weakness. My weakness. 